Welcome to The Quarantine Tapes, a daily podcast from Onassis, L.A. and Dublin. Hosted by Paul Holdengraber, this series chronicles shifting paradigms in the era of social distancing. Hello, can I please speak with Lauren Halsey? Yeah, this is she. Hello, Lauren. This is Paul, Paul Holdengraber, calling you from the quarantine tapes. I'm really so Hi. delighted that you could take the call. Hello. Yeah. How are you? I'm well, you know, just in the thick of things, but I'm good. How are you? Um, about the same, whatever that might mean. Yeah. Uh, it certainly is the thick of things, and it's been going on for for so long. And so let me ask you to start out with, Lauren, how have you been spending these past six or seven months? I know they've been amazingly busy for you, and I'd love our listeners to know the extraordinary work you're doing right now. Yeah, I've been doing a little bit of everything, and the sort of the rhythm of the past six or seven months has been... Uh, you know, just a really funky balance of a lot. Uh, when the quarantine first happened, like six or seven months ago, I thought, uh, you know, because I live around the corner from my studio, that I would, you know, take a bit of an art vacation and, you know, experiment, clean up, you know, do things like that. But as I realized, you know, what the course of things were, I mean, I guess we all realized, mm-hmm. uh, and... <laughs> Seeing the lack of resources, seeing uh, the suffering, just the challenges, just, you know, every day in my life, I sort of rerouted the time, you know, I thought I would spend experimenting with ideas and, and form to, uh, you know, animating my, my community center in a really, really, really dreamy way that I've been wishing to accomplish for a very long time. And uh, that resulted in my sis, my assistants, my best friends, my girlfriend, my little cousins, uh, other family members sort of curating and putting on this food program for the past uh, 20 weeks. We're actually we're in week 21. Extraordinary. Uh, Extraordinary. We, yeah, tell me. Yeah. Um, in which we uh, distribute at least 600 organic, uh, free organic produce boxes to folks in Watts. And so last week was our um, 20th week, 11,000 boxes, and we're gearing up for uh, tomorrow. So I've been doing that. I've been doing a bit of the art stuff. Um, I've been hanging out with my cousins a lot. I've been, uh, you know, resting when I can. Just a little bit of everything. And and this this project is so extraordinary. How would you pronounce it? Summer everything. Summer everything. T- tell me about the name. <laughs> oh, it's just like, it's it's uh, it's just summer everything. It's, I it, guess it's it's slang for some of everything. That's what I thought, but also summer, right? The yeah. Summer time. Summer everything. Yeah, and I guess just like you know, like a certain vernacular, I guess, but. Uh, it just, you know, that just means for me, um, you know, infinite possibility right. to operate the community center 
you know, across plural context, plural programs, workshops, just actions and efforts without having to really define, uh, you know, what it is we do. Aside from, you know, being concerned with, you know, community transcendence. Um, and so right now, you know, it's a food program, which I never, ever thought the community center space itself will be an assembly line for produce every but, week. But then, again, you know, we, I, we, but then again, we never thought that the world would look the way it does now in, in, some, in some form or fashion. Or, or maybe, and maybe we'll get to that, maybe we could yeah. see the signs of it, uh, but perhaps, yeah. perhaps not quite what it's become. But in a way, uh, it's a departure from your usual work, Lauren, but at the same time, it feels like a natural outgrowth of it. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's, you know, um, since like day one, there's been a, a collaborative ethos for, you know, everything that I do and a, a community concern and just love and pride with everything that I do. So, um, you know, having the community center a couple doors down from my studio and having already established a studio practice that happens, you know, with people that I love, it felt pretty... Um, uh, smooth or, or seamless to sort of transition into this effort, uh, you know, with the same ethos in mind as my art practice. So uh, there's that just as far as like the functionality of it. But then, you know, I've always, no matter, you know, what I, when I was younger, decided whatever I would become, whether it was at the time I wanted to be a basketball player but if I would have become an accountant or like whatever, a sculptor, that there would be a record of service, no matter what I was doing. And so um, just trying to stay on course with that ambition, you know. I love that, that sentence, a record of service. How do you mean? Yeah, well, I mean, just uh, being of service, being, being uh, you know, now I can say, now that I have a community center, providing, um, you know, an institution of comfort, an institution of, of intellect and education, of creativity, of, uh, you know, now nutrition for the neighborhood to lean on. Um, and I, I don't know that we have enough of that. No. And, you know, with my interest in just space making, um, I always knew uh, early on in art, in art school, it was one thing to, you know, represent or reimagine or, you know, propose um, remixes of spaces for my neighborhood or just like a black future. Uh, but I always knew it was another thing to actually enact it and live it and embody it and propose it in a tangible scale every single day, you know, um, separate, though it's a cause and effect, but separate from like the imaginative headspace that an installation that I make or whatever uh, might transport you, that I would want to do both all the time. And so it's funny enough, we're in quarantine yeah. and that's starting to have, the work is happening that I've always wanted to do in, and engage in, in. In so many ways, you, you, you were ready for it <clears throat> insofar that one can say that. You've said, Lauren, I've always questioned who's designing the architecture I live in as well as the architecture that define a neighborhood. I can't, mm -hmm. I can't separate architecture from other oppressive forces that have the ability to reinforce stereotypes, deplete mm -hmm. them, deplete the, mor the morale of a place and instigate violence. Can, you, can mm -hmm. you tell me a little bit more about that and how it informs the work you do daily, really, as an artist? 
Yeah, just growing up uh, in a place where, you know, it already just has so much baggage as far as that narratives uh, put on uh, the community or just South Central um, as a whole advanced, you know, via media, uh, film, just, you know, just conversation, whatever. Um, and so as a person that, you know, grew up with, with a father or family with a lot of neighborhood pride who, who's been here, you know, via the great migration for since 1927. Um, I didn't have that baggage about where I'm from. I saw the total opposite. And, uh, you know, the other, the flip, the other side of that is having, you know, never gone to school in my neighborhood and being the sort of outsider insider figure every single day, um, from whether I was going to school, elementary school in Westchester or going to, you know, middle and high school around like Fairfax and 18th Street. I just had a, a, a visceral response um, for as long as I can remember coming home, um, especially taking the streets, not so much the freeway where you're just driving through neighborhoods, but taking the streets and it's feeling the weight of architecture and its materiality in certain neighborhoods versus, uh, you know, my neighborhood. And uh, I guess I, would, I guess I would say like soft, soft architectural materials versus hard architectural materials and like these sort of boundaries of materials that would make me feel uh, that a lot of it had to do with these narratives that are completely false being imposed on us, like just myths being imposed on us, but then that being translated via uh, architecture and the way, you know, signage happens, the way uh, materials happen, whether we, we can just stop to talk about bars on windows or bulletproof this or that or crazy fencing or barbed wire this or that or um, just like whatever, whatever that was. And not feeling like I agreed with it and feeling like I was being sort of superimposed and like these really like messed up myths of South Central that just weren't true. And uh, I think that was, there's a few things, but that uh, was one of the reasons that sort of compelled me to make spaces that didn't have that, you know, mess or didn't have that baggage around South Central as this like uber violent, uh, you know, it's just not true but architecture and its materiality would have you think that because like their choices and they're curated by people as well you know that was long i don't know do you know what i mean i know what you mean and and you, you you're talking about uh, uh, creating a space of conviviality and not yeah. a not a space of 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 weightiness and surveillance yeah, exactly. You know, I, I I was so interested in uh, in examining your work and learning about it, the 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 place that collecting occupies in 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 your practice. Uh, yeah. Collecting seems to be central to your practice. And a hundred years ago, when I when I was a pretend scholar, I wrote a I wrote about uh, Walter Benjamin, the the German philosopher, and the idea of collecting and collecting as a form of rescuing, as mm-hmm. a, as, a, as a form, uh, in a way, bending down to pick up whatever one might find on streets or in different places in a city 
and holding on to them, keeping them so that they're not forgotten, so that in a way generations in the future might find them. Does, does, that, does that resonate with you? And in a sense, what is your impulse that drives you to gather these materials? And I might also ask you, what kind of materials have you gathered recently during these six months of whatever we might call it, isolation? Yeah, I mean, that wasn't the conceit initially, because I've always been a collector of sorts since I was, you know, as a kid. But um, as I've grown older and understand the world a bit more, um, I feel like now I'm in this, like, mad dash to collect all of the ephemera I can uh, in my neighborhood and others adjacent to it. Because there's just so, so much happening, which is like, you know, new infrastructure, displacement and gentrification that, uh, you know, these beautiful, these beautiful moments or these one-offs or just all this material culture that I'm obsessed with, that I find beautiful, complicated, smart. Um, I don't want it to just be erased. Right. Sort of gone in the wind. I uh, obsessively collect uh, as far as things that, and some of it shows up in my work, um, or a lot of it does, but uh, well, I always say some of it. Some of it shows up. So like a, a cave that I built, like I think two or three, no, like three years ago, I sort of built this um, archival cave of just like South Central ephemera that I had been collecting consciously since like, you know, uh, 2000 and maybe eight when I was in community college. And uh, I saw the function of the cave as like this warehouse or storehouse for all of like, you know, the guts of a place of a people and just like this beautiful sociopolitical record. And so some of it I collect with the intent to reuse in a work, but some of it I just collect in the same way that one might collect coins or baseball cards. It's just a thing, you know. Um, as far as stuff that I've collected uh, in the past six or seven months, collected a lot of like, Therapy, gas station, uh, like mixed CDs, DJs in the parking lot, sort of slinging mixed CDs. I've collected, um, I'm always collecting incense. I'm super obsessed with um, the titles, the names or whatever, and the promise of the myths and the titles. So like, you know, an incense called Coco Egypt, um, an incense called Michelle Obama Extra Strong. Uh, what else do I collect? I collect just like every flyer I see. I collect signs. I've been really into, but I also don't want to give myself up. You know, right, I like right, these, the people right. that I just collect a lot of stuff. Some right, of the stuff, you know, right. stay for myself. But you know, just uh, those those have been my main focus. The um, very curated mixed CDs right now, and very curated uh, incense sticks. I mean, in in a way, it's a practice that keeps you always in motion totally my eyes are always just like they've sort of been trained um to look for these right. things your your eyes are, are tactile in some sense yeah and now like you know my studio um and i'm thinking about you know my girlfriend and, and uh, my best friends now they're sort of like the aesthetic leaders of my studio and they're out, you know, knowing that I'm on the hunt for the same thing. So they'll come back to the studio with like a bouquet of incense. And it's exactly what I would have picked out. How it's like, it's really great. How fantastic. It's yeah. like, it's like an, uh, the, the evening becomes an evening, evening where you share your bounty. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. 
Yeah. Now, now, you, but not with intent. Like we're just right, moving, you right. know. Like we go to the gas station and it pops up. Right. Or we're driving down the street and that sign shows up, and then it's like, oh, make a U-turn, or like, oh, here's the sign. I know you would want that. Found objects. Oh. Now you you've designed a prototype for a monument to Nipsey Hussle. What is it about him? Do you feel that it was important to memorialize? Huh. I mean, he's just, he, inter- I mean, I listened to at least, you know, one to five, uh, you know, Nipsey songs every morning when I'm brushing my teeth. He's like my cup of coffee before my coffee. And I think it's um, everything to do with actually watching him be a living example of, you know, all the values that I care about. Uh, watching the corner of Crenshaw's Floss and Blossom. And, you know, grow beautifully from day one when it was floss and teas. And then, uh, you know, I'm making it up as far as the timeline or chronology of things. But, you know, floss and teas. And then a few months later, oh, they got the the legit LED signs and it's floss and teas. And you go in and it's like, oh, they got a few more shelves. And then, uh, oh, he got that business next door. Oh, now it's the marathon store. Oh, now he's made a smart store and he has Vector 90 and has this like workspace for the neighborhood. And oh, now he did that, you know. So just watching that growth and seeing it um, as all of like LA saw it, uh, it was a collective, I think, you know, vision of him and his transcendence and never forgetting about us. And it wasn't this thing for him about, you know, being successful and leaving the hood. It was about recycling resources, his network, his dollars, his pride, his love back into his subject, his people, his content, you know. And uh, I hope to live the same way. I mean, so many of us do. And um, I'm forever grateful to have been alive, to have yeah been alive while he's been alive, doing that, to actually see it in the flesh. You know, that means everything. It feels attainable. That was beautiful. Do you, is he still your, your cup of coffee before your coffee? Yeah, I start with this song. Um, it's called Face the World. Depending on my mood, I'll start with other ones too, but that's like my, that's my one. Lauren, you, you've said that one of the things you like about Afrofuturism is that it transcends time and allows you to be everywhere at once. What becomes yeah. possible when time opens itself in that way that you describe? Um, I'm not bound to any sort of human baggage or just like earthly problems because like, you know, a lot of it has to do, you know, with mismaking, um, and that mismaking, not all of it, but some of like the, some of the conversation around Afrofuturism, um, and just sort of like mismaking these sort of fantastical, uh, origin stories uh, for, you know, how folks arrived from Africa to America also showed up in a lot of like really beautiful ideological groups that I, you know, came across when I was living in Harlem. And so uh, with a few of those groups or members of those groups collectively, we were able to just like dream up new space because we were just already, uh, so deep into this myth, you know, and we all expressed it in different ways. Some it was writing, some it was music. For me, it was, um, you know, remixing, you know, the function of the hieroglyph. 
uh, and it just feels like, you know, endless possibility um, that I'm able to shape shift, that I'm able to shape shift not just myself, but uh, identity, representation, future, you know, people, uh, images. It's just everything at once. I can be some of everything, which uh, I love, you know. You're you're working precisely on 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 a variety of what you call hieroglyphic architectural structures, and I mm-hmm. think you've begun to answer that question before. Why are hieroglyphs such a, a potent form of communication for you, and what kind yeah. of meaning do they do they carry? It it was so interesting to read about them. Yeah, so I grew up with a father. He's not so much. He doesn't perform this so much anymore, uh, and his persona, you know, personality with me. Um, but with like a sort of, and I don't mean this in, a, in an aesthetic way, but just more like meaning and I guess poetic way. A father who is like sort of like a Sun Ra figure and um, definitely uh, deeply um, into or committed to you know his studies and myths around you know ancient Egypt and. Um, uh, I guess, you know, dynasties and, and, and queens and pharaohs and ancient Egypt and what I guess try to teach me in between sort of like have time coming in the house, you know, to grab a, a drink or a plate about my bloodline or about this dynastronic dynasty or whatever. So growing up just with that in my bones, growing up with, uh, part of the force of, of Parliament Funkadelic and the Trump Ebulation album and the way they moved through the cosmos, whether that was outer space, ancient Egypt, underwater, Washington, D.C., you know, Chocolate City, whatever. Um, and then watching those images once, you know, the Internet came out, YouTube came out, and I was able to watch the funk operas that Funkadelic was doing in 76 and 78. Uh and then it, it hit, it, I'm going somewhere with this, I'm not just rambling, but it sort of landed for me when I moved to Harlem and I met, as I was describing, um, some of those ideological groups who were taking the myths around ancient Egypt, um, which are all like very personal, it's not just one thing, but we're taking the myths and expressing them in a tangible way, um, along with like the heart space or the head space, you know, and so... I was meeting folks who were actually like pyramid builders and designers who had uh, been doing that work as sculptors and uh, self-taught architects um, in these groups since like the 90s. And that felt very powerful for me. And at the time, I was going to the Met a lot and for the first time seeing, you know, actual um, artwork from, you know, uh, eras in ancient Egypt. And I started thinking what form I could remix to, you know, um, describe like contemporary people, but through this pharaonic lens and I landed on the hieroglyph as like a tool. And so um, I've been carving them ever since. And um, it's been a very long journey, like about like seven, eight years, but um, I'm working towards building in collaboration with my neighborhood, uh, uh, um, a hieroglyphic architecture that describes past, present, future of Los Angeles um, on its on its uh, on its surface of the architecture. And very early on in our conversation, you used I think it was 
a minute into our conversation, you used the word funk, and some of your installations contain what you call funk mounds. What does a mm-hmm. word like funk mean to you? And what what um, it seems to hold uh, uh, contain a deep meaning for you? Yeah, I don't know if I can describe what it means like in a Webster style, but I, I deeply understand the affect of funk for me and what that word, um, and I don't just mean any funk, I mean Parliament Funkadelics funk, uh, did for me as a preteen, teenager, you know, adult coming into myself. And I'm still deep in the world and mythos of, of, myth, uh, of funkadelic and all of their just, you know, beautiful sonic landscapes that they gave us. But it means freedom Mm -hmm. for me, Um, but it's a a stylized freedom where I'm able to, you know, experience myself um, through this lens that, and this sound that, you know, Dr. Funkenstein has said is is all right. Um, I don't have the I don't have the language for it, but um, I've spent all this time, you know, making work to you know describe a visual language for what I think funk is, and it's like it's everything. It's just literally everything. It's freedom. It's maximalism. It's density. It's it's grit. It's color. It's technicolor. It's just like it's life. It gives me life. And it's exuberance. And joy. Yeah. I mean, I'll never forget, yeah. Lauren, when I interviewed George Clinton, it was just absolutely deliriously wonderful. I mean, it was so, yeah. so joyous, so filled, yeah. so filled with energy, so filled yeah. with everything I feel we so Where much. Where did you interview him? I interviewed him at the New York Public Library. And he was just mm. magnificent, so alive. I mean, it was just m- marvelous. And mm-hmm. uh, those kinds of voices, I feel we, we, we need them and I feel you inhabit them. When, when this pandemic is over, and let us assume, as I hope you open the doors to your community center in a new way, what, what will it contain? And can you walk us through the place you're envisioning? And finally, the place you're envisioning, has it changed now in the last six or seven months? Um, of yeah, so right now, that's actually, I'm speaking to you from the community center right now, one of its offices. But it'll, um, it'll always be an open floor plan so that it can, um, you know, accommodate whatever the needs of the programs are, multiple programs at once. And so I imagine um, there'll be multiple partitions where, you know, soundproof partitions where I'm making this up. But like, you know, in one corner, it might be some sort of, you know, tutoring or after school program happening um, in the next corner. Uh, a couple hundred square feet away, there might be some sort of art making workshop happening around, you know, screen printing. There's a, an office here that once I find the funding will uh, turn into a music studio for um, children and young adults to engage with music, whether, you know, it's a, we can call it like a mini conservatory with instruments or, you know, production classes. Um, outside, there will be um, a garden and it'll function as, you know, a beauty garden where folks can uh, pause from just like the mess of things or mess of the world. It'll be an aesthetic garden with sculptures in there, you know, it's a, a sculpture garden. And it'll also be a functional garden now that we're involved in a food program where 
um, we can actually, you know, harvest what we grow and distribute it, continue to distribute it to the neighborhood and, you know, folks who uh, might want it. It'll, it'll be a, a space for, um, you know, engaging with, uh, you know, thought. Whether that means it's a stage for speakers, whether that means it's a um, a space for theater. I mean, it'll literally be some of everything. It could be anything it wants to be, you know. So um, as soon as we get out of this moment, though, the most exciting uh, thing for me is starting the, the tutoring program and opening that up to youth in the neighborhood. And depending on when that happens, you know, in the seasons, uh, I would love to have a surf camp as well. How wonderful. I, I really can't wait for it to open. I I, yeah, hope, I, I hope I'll be able to, to walk in that door and see all of these different things happening together. Uh, nearly, yeah. It feels like what you're describing is a, a great adventure that is happening nearly simultaneously. Yeah, exactly. It's so totally. beautiful. Yeah. Lauren, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for oh. taking this time. And um, how wonderful that you're doing this for your neighborhood. It's it's really tremendous and a real deep inspiration. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you. All the best to you. And until we meet soon again, yeah. I hope I send you a virtual hug. <laughs> for sure. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. To support this show and Dublab's progressive programming, go to dublab.com/support. Uh-huh.